Today's podcast is brought to you by Mindsight. Mindsight provides IT services to many K-12 school districts in the Chicagoland area. From cybersecurity to hybrid cloud, unified communications to managed services, Mindsight has acted as an extension of client IT teams for nearly 20 years. They're recognized as a leading IT consulting firm, so contact them with any IT-related questions at 630-981-5007 or visit GoMindsight.com and tell them that IETL sent you. Well, welcome back, everybody. Here we go. Our final episode, our Woo-hoo! final episode for Upstream. I can't believe it. MJ, thanks so much. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a journey, and I'm excited to hear what we've got uh, with our great panelists today. Uh, before we jump into it, though, just a couple announcements, just so that you guys know. So first of all, uh, COSIN, that's coming up, right, MJ? Yes, it is. So March, March 19th to the 22nd, that's down in Austin. So if you like good barbecue... Um, you want to get away of uh, impending snowmageddon uh, or whatever, <laughs> um, you know, come down to Austin. We've got a huge, huge crowd. Uh, we were reviewing that. We get a list of, of people who signed up. And, and so far, we've got 45 to 50 people from Illinois coming down to, to Coastin this year. So it's going to be a Ooh, great time. Yeah, big, big numbers. Big it's going to be a great time to connect with both our, our local colleagues, but then also our national colleagues. Such a great learning experience. Um, with that, we've also got our CTO Summit. So that's uh, June 15th. MJ, that's over at Top Golf in Naperville, right? It is. And that's in June. Yeah, June 15th. Yep. So we got a, our our summit is uh, there. I just checked the sign up for that. We have about 48 people signed up. Don't wait. There is a, a limit that we can hold at Top Golf. So make sure if you haven't signed up and you want to go uh, that you get signed up for that. Um, and then I got to give a huge shout out to MJ here. So uh, we were passed along a little news what? that uh, that this epi- that our podcast is actually the director's choice on the Level Ed Up magazine, part of Ed Tech magazine. Oh, yes. So I want to give a huge shout out to MJ. Huge shout out to MJ. Oh, to um, you too, Tony. Oh no, I just I just pretend you make it you make it good. <laughs> so. Um, but uh, thank you guys, all of uh, the listeners out there. You know, we we started this a couple of years ago, just trying to to find a way to bring some professional development, um, some humor, uh, some good conversations to to everybody um, while while you're driving back and forth. We know that the commutes can be long, and so we wanted to to try something new. So thank you guys uh, for all of your support, and we're always open to any other topics that you guys would like to learn about. So um, just a, a huge honor, but. Uh, but with that, uh, well, one more learning opportunity. Okay, okay here we go. One more learning opportunity. Our workshop uh, for our Aido workshop is on April 14th. Yep. So workshop make sure you four. schedule that. That's at NIU Naperville. Um, so uh, information is going to be going out for that real soon. Awesome. So workshop four. Thanks, MJ. Workshop four, <laughs> uh, April 14th, you said, NIU Naperville. Um, so, uh, hopefully we'll see you guys there as well. So, uh, but with that, so we've, 
We've uh, been working on uh, dissecting the Upstream book by Dan Heath, and um, hopefully you were able to get onto Twitter and like and repost and uh, and and join in with our asynchronous book. If not, feel free to always go back. I know that some people listen to these podcasts and, and maybe a couple behind. That's the great thing about the asynchronous uh, part of the, the book discussion is you can go back to Twitter and and add your thoughts in. That's uh, the ideas that will continue to uh, to experience this uh, and see where we see the upstream mentality fitting in for, for all of that. So, but with that, MJ, I'm going to turn it over to you, introduce our panelists for today, and we can uh, we can get going on some some great questions here. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, thanks for coming along this learning journey with us and, and listening. And, and even if, if you're reading the book together uh, with us, uh, we're hoping that you are coming away uh, with a lot of, you know, good reflection, um, good thoughts. And, and today we're wrapping up the book. Uh, chapters 12 and 13, um, and coming away with what are you getting out of um, our learning journey, our reading together? I'm going to launch us with a thought, and then uh, we'll have our um, fellow book discussion group uh, introduce themselves and then um, kind of share their thought. But <clears throat> uh, one of the things that in the last couple chapters, um, Dan Heath mentions is the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So I think, well, you know, given all the thinking that we've been doing and trying to upstream some of the things that are happening in our districts, um, we're going to share a little bit about what, you know, where we're at with and what, what we see kind of coming down the line for us as leaders and what it is that we're going to be leading our districts through in trying to upstream uh, certain problem-solving situations. So um, who wants to start? <laughs> Brian, hey. <laughs> All right. You must know me, MJ. So uh -huh. I did. I had that highlighted um, in, in my book. And, you know, it, it just kept on, like, the thing that th these two chapters, I think, probably spoke to me more than any of the other chapters. And I'm kind of like a emotional pep talk, Ted Lasso kind of guy anyway. So I, I looked at a lot of this stuff and it was, you know, um, the, the thing that I think it was like, you know, if there's a recurring problem in life, you go upstream and don't let the problems longevity act deter you from acting. And so like, I immediately sit there and go like, Everybody, like, the guy who joined a new district. Well, this is always how we've done this. We've always done it this way. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way. Mm -hmm. And so I am fighting that kind of <clears throat> upstream mentality because there have been processes in place uh, here where they kept on saying, well, this is how we've done it. And I'm like, right, but let me take you and change your lens a little bit and say, here's how I've done this at a couple other different places how, how can we improve um you know processes how do we make things easier and it, i think it is easy when you come into a place and they have established this routine which they think is the right way and, and you're trying to just change i think shift shift the focus a little bit mm -hmm. um and i and i think that's it goes for all these different things we talk about like right i mean tony went through a, ma a doctorate program i'm in a master's degree program and uh, I, I always say, like, you're never too young to learn. Yep. 
Like I can tell you at my age, I never thought I would be in a master's degree program. Um, but like you, you have to, you, as educators, we keep on telling our kids, you know, you're never too young to learn, you know, lifelong learning life. And at some point we have to take that spoonful of medicine ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, otherwise we're just putting out words to people yeah, and never yeah. and never living by it. And I think that's what, like these last, if I'm going to sum it up, like, I think that's what these last two chapters of Dan Heath was telling us was like, it, it's never too late to change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just have to have the courage to be able to do it. Yeah. Maureen. So yeah, just, just following up with Brian, um, you know, that's the way we've always done it. I've been saying that for so long, probably 15, 20 years. Uh, I heard it at a conference and I'm like, Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Um, they gave the example of why we didn't, why we only flew to the moon and not beyond, you know, in the 1960s. And it goes all the way back to Roman times and the chariots. And I can tell you that story another time, but it's a great, uh, conversation. Um, but then here at um, Oak Park, we say we we do things the way we've always done it. And the new principal has come in. She has rephrased things that we can't do that. Like I can keep things like if that's what Hemingway did and there was a reason that we did it in Hemingway's time, like because it honors him and that's why we still do it, you know, because that's a big deal here, then maybe. But if it's not tied to Hemingway in any way, uh, then we really need to look at it and change it in any way we can. Um, the other thing I was thinking about, which I will forget (laughs) is, is thinking back to my time as a teacher, like every year there would be something that I did in my classroom that I was like, Oh, why hadn't I thought about that before? Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of not having that time to really reflect on what problems you're trying to solve versus what's right in front of you. Um, because I got better and better each year and it, it might've been organization. It might've been teaching style, but there was always something that I could mm-hmm. tweak. Um, but having that time to reflect and really think about what problems you're trying to solve is really important. Yeah. See, see real, real quick, before we jump to Amanda, the funny thing, every year when I was a teacher, I tried to make really fun, cool, interactive stuff with my smart notebook. And then the next year I'd forget what I'd done on the slide. And because I had hidden it so well, I had no idea. Like it was always a a surprise for me. So what I had to learn was I got to give myself some sort of key of what I made here so that I can find what the problem was. So definitely not as good as you were in there, but funny nonetheless. All right. Sorry, Amanda, go ahead. Definitely funny. Yeah. um, Amanda Pelser from Brookfield, LaGrange Park. Um, I think that for me, kind of like what Maureen and and Brian were talking about, like the importance of asking questions about why things are the way they are. Mm -hmm. And so like Mm -hmm. taking time to reflect and then learning from the things that we have experienced are so important. I think in the last chapter, uh, Dan Heath talks about like the scoreboard approach rather Mm -hmm. than the pill approach of um, keeping track of how things are working and what you're doing and not waiting till the end uh, or trying to find the perfect solution before doing something. And I think that really resonated with me. Um, you know, asking questions, taking time to reflect and learn. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So for all of I us, think, as you're, uh, as you're thinking quick. about, for, for all of us, as you're thinking about upstreaming, um, so what's a problem that's currently going on in your district now um, or even in your life, I mean, uh, in your district now that you, you're having to get close to that problem, right? Like 
you're in the river <laughs> pulling the kids out. Like, what's that problem that's happening in your district now? I, I have one that um, was just recently on our listserv about um, ELL students and translation. And that's kind of something that has always been there. I mean, we've always had ELL students, but we haven't really figured out a way to uh, work with them and support them. That's kind of universal. Um, and then the fact that someone posted the new earbuds that do the translation automatically, and that's like a really good solution to some problems if those work. Um, but I feel like it's something that's definitely been like it's a smaller group of people. So it's kind of overlooked. Um, so I think just problems in general is pay attention to the little groups and not just the big ones to see what, what they need help with. Well, like Maureen, I'm, oh, it's like you just said that. And it's, oh, here it is. It said the lesson is clear. You can't help a thousand people or a million until you understand how to help one. Right. And, yeah. and you don't understand a problem until you've seen it up close. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I'm swimming upstream because I think I probably told you guys I'm trying to switch our district over to Google. <laughs> <laughs> me too. You are laughing we're, hard, right? <laughs> we are currently Office 365, and um, I said I, I made the recommendation to go to Google. Um, we had taken a teacher survey, uh, so this wasn't out of like blind blind ambition, I already had data that was basically almost a 50-50 split. Um, and so, yes, I, I'm I'm swimming upstream in, in changing people's mentalities of how it is going to look on the other side. You know, they're stuck in this way of being in Office 365 for the past five years. Um, but secretively, there are people still using Google on the down low. I'm like it's okay and uh you know trying to teach them like how how is it going to look and it's a lot of explaining and you know it's not necessarily politicking but it's a lot of telling them like we are going to be a- alongside you yep. in-, in this process and oh god th- this like brings me to like uh uh there's so many like things i liked in this chapter um oh uh, it was well brian looks for that i, I had a similar yes Piece. Help me out. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Um, I had a similar piece, you know, my very first year as a tech director, CTO in that role, you know, I walked into a, hey, we're going one-to-one. We're switching from PC to Mac. We're switching over to Google. And, and you know, I was walking into it. It had already been decided. So it was a, it was really working with all of the different groups, students, staffs, parents on you know, here's here's the why behind it. We're here to support you. I know it's different than what you did. And I still to this day could tell you probably the biggest struggle that we had was that, you know, in the, the office package for Mac, there was no publisher. <laughs> and in an elementary district, publisher was king or queen, right, in, in that district. And so trying to find other solutions and working with staff through that that process and and the oh well I don't know why we can't just have publisher and and it, it was it was definitely a challenge but but getting past that mentality and working side by side and I think the biggest probably the only thing that I really was able to successfully you know bring as far as support was being able to listen 
right? Being able to listen, understanding as best as I could, um, and then being a support where possible of, hey, we'll get through it, you know, one step at a time. And and it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. Well, I'm going to jump back in. So thank you, Tony. You you get me the time to figure out where my highlight was. Good. I was so, about to ask you if I bought you enough time there. but <laughs> You did. You did. Um, you know, I think in with my own kids, we were talking about our kids and in, in, a, in a world of tweets and instant messaging and all that kind of stuff. Everybody wants to see action right now. Like if we make a change, we want to see an initial action super quick. And that's not necessarily how it, it, it works. And but. You know, it talked about, um, and where, where I'm going with that, he he talks about the uh, be impatient for an action, but be patient for outcomes. Mm. Um, and I have highlighted here, it can take a while for action to bear fruit. The downstream work is narrow and fast, but upstream is broad and slower. And, you know, and then he kind of goes into a couple pages later and he says, don't obsess about formulating a perfect solution before you begin the work. Instead, take ownership of the underlying problem and start slogging forward. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I looked at that. I'm like, yes, like, that's exactly what I need to, like, do. Like, yeah, we're going to change. And it isn't going to be perfect in August. And we're going to work to making it better. Um, but, yeah, it, it might take a full year for us to get to that process. But in the end, that will it will be better for us as as a district. For us, I look at this um, as an opportunity for us to actually possibly change our high school because hmm. our high schools are still just finally went one to one with Windows laptops. They're doing Office 365. If my district switches over to Google, four out of the five feeder districts will be Google, iPad, Chromebook districts. And so I look at that and say, hello, high school district, you are actually in the minority now. And mm-hmm. so as you tell us that we should get in line with you, I actually think it's time you get in line with us. Yeah. I use the phrase from Game of Thrones, it's time for us to stop bending the knee to high school districts. <laughs> Sorry, Maureen. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about that, right? We have our kids yeah. for nine years versus four. We have uh, the ability You're to... You're absolutely right. When, yeah. uh, when I was in 112 in Highland Park, um, district 113, the high school district was going through a referendum. They asked um, Jill Moraldo and I, because we were the tech people at the elementary district, to talk to their panels about what we were doing with technology because in their referendum they wanted to make sure that that was built in. And after Jill and I discussed everything that we were doing in the K 8, um, the high school called us and they're like, We need people like you. Uh, what is your job description and how do you do this? Because it was really the elementary district that was ahead of the high school. So definitely. The high schools tend to be more stuck in their ways, um, and it's it's a tough boulder to push uphill, whereas yeah. it's much more uh, pliable and willing and open in the K-8. But and, bravo to 113 for actually bringing you guys to the table. I mean, that yeah. was a little bit of some upstream thinking there. Like, mm-hmm. oh, let's get the right people, right, mm-hmm. talking about the issue, right? Um, Brian, before we move on to somebody else, but I just, I was just curious, like in your situation now that you guys have made the decision to move from Microsoft 360 to Google, um, what was the specific kind of problems that you are trying to solve to by moving to Google? Were there specific things that 
um, were identified by you, your staff? Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I got to speak to the board on this, on this topic. And so I came in and said, if, you know, we're supposed to be lifelong learners and we're specifically looking at, so I, I broke it up in kind of maybe a, two different areas. I said, let's talk about professional learning. I said, if you are a teacher and you go to any conference, IdeaCon, or you come to us, I go, you look at the LTC, uh, you look at what is available free from Google. I said, professional learning exists in the masses for a Google workspace in education. And I go, it maybe exists in Office 365, but to find it is actually harder to find. Like you, ha you have to do so much work to try to find something about how Office 365 works in a K-8 or, you know, a, a lower mm -hmm. ed in, environment. Mm -hmm. So I specifically focused on that professional learning. Mm -hmm. Like I go right off the bat, like we're going to go to Google. We're going to talk about our teachers becoming level one certified teachers. Like we do that because we want them to understand how to use the product correctly. Um, you know, I talked about the ability to do single sign-on natively. Like, mm -hmm. you know, instead of us having to buy a third-party product that allows us to, you know, integrate into a, a, another product, like, we have the ability to do that directly with Google without having this third-party product. And I kind of said it's, you you bought a board that's a square peg, but everything you have is not a square peg. So you're trying to pound it into this square peg, and we're buying different things um, to try to fit it into this square peg. Um, and the last thing I talked about, was really um, like user interface and, and user ability. You know, if you look at, uh, and these are my opinions, and so no, ever, no, you know, nobody come yell at me about this, but I look at, you know, a UI right now is supposed to be, you know, large, colorful boxes and a lot of white space and very easy, minimalistic kind of viewing. And if you look at Office 365, I mean, it looks the same as it did when I used it 15, 17 years ago. Um, why aren't people, I mean, I looked at just trying to create, four, I mean, it, it just, to me, it seems harder to do the things that I knew were really simple to do in a Google workspace environment. And so I take that and I say, why are kids in K through four struggling to do anything in that OneDrive? Mm -hmm. Because it's complicated. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. if our teachers don't understand it, they're not going to teach it to their kids five, six, seven, and eight, they don't have a choice. They have to, because that's what their curriculum is calling them to do. So begrudgingly, they're learning how to do it. But I mean, if you sit there and think, if I had Google Classroom, do I necessarily need Schoology? If mm -hmm. I had Google Classroom, I could easily share out a document that every one of us on this call would become an owner to their own document. And uh, so I look at it and go, we're not using the product that we're doing, but is it the right product? Mm -hmm. So just real quick, <clears throat> I think a great example of upstream thinking is how Google got into the education market to begin with. Yes. Right? Like they came that in the was market. was sneaky, wasn't it? Oh, they came in the market. I was thinking about this 11, 12 years ago, right? It was right around like 20, 2010, 2011, 2012, somewhere right there. And <clears throat> they came in with all these solutions. And the price tag yeah. was right. Yeah. Right. Well, and actually it was 2007 because I was around and <laughs> implemented sheets. And was... back in the day, you could only share it with 10 other people. But that was like, <laughs> oh my God, you could share this with people. Like that was so unheard of. 
I was teaching back then, just FYI. <laughs> so... <laughs> And I remember it, it, it just blew people, yeah. it just blew our minds away that how much we could, like you said, Brian, like share, easily share. It's like one click, whereas in some other packages. Well, yeah, so- and you look at what Google did to the education market too. I mean, as much as I don't, I, I, I've used Chromebooks, but the Chromebook coming in as a low cost option for school districts to supply their kids with devices. I mean, nobody had ever heard of a sub 200 you know, device to provide their kids that could actually help them in their educational journey. So, and, and especially you know, I, after after all of their online resources were built out. Yeah, right. I mean, I, there's no doubt that I think that Google had something to do with Apple having to change their price point. I mean, that is the mothership right there, and they don't change their price point, but they realize they were being beat in the game. Yep, um, that's true. You know, the, if you look now, I mean, there's very few. Uh, manufacturers that are making Windows 11-inch laptops for students. I mean, it's a Lenovo, Acer, and Asus. I mean, Dell doesn't do it anymore. They sell Chromebooks. I mean, so, you know, that market is is shrinking of what what is really out there. And so, yeah. you know, I, 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 got, I probably said this last time. I said, you know, as educators and administrators, like, we're, we're there to do what's best for kids. And in tech land like we're supposed to be out there curating what things are out there and how it could help our students uh, you know I and mean, we'll, we'll go back to the headphone example right i mean who would have ever thought that headphones were out there that were doing 42 language tra- translations until someone asks the question and says hey yeah this is exists and this really is cool so you've already passed the curation part because you know someone who's already already doing it um and so I think I, I always look at my decisions and I'm like, are we doing it for what's best for kids? And I always say sometimes what's best for kids isn't what's best for teachers or administrators. Hmm. How about you others? Yeah, I think um, it's funny that you said that, Tony, about Google. I think that there's so many things that we just take advantage of, like all of the upstream efforts that came before us that like, could you imagine our, what lives would, like, we couldn't be doing this right now, right? Yes. Um, so I think that's something really good to reflect on. You know, as far as the thing that has resonated with me the most while reading this book that aligns to the work that I'm doing now, I think I've mentioned it before, but cybersecurity. Like Mm. if I were to summarize my five years here in Brookfield, it has all been about moving from proactive, I mean, reactive to proactive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, that the chapter 11, I think that was like the chicken little effect. Yes. It was all about like, you don't want to be the person who's like, ah, the sky is falling, <laughs> but like, you also don't want the sky to fall. So what can you do to, to prevent those problems? Um, so that has really been my biggest um, thing that I've thought about throughout this whole book. So Amanda, just yeah. real quick, sorry, MJ, Amanda, to go off of that, I think one of the biggest things that hit me was, you know, thinking back to the, the Y2K, right? Like, we all prepared for Y2K, which turned out to be nothing. And do we blame or do we get mad that we did all of that preparation for nothing? Or do we say the preparation helped us, right? You know, I, I've been talking with um, 
uh, you know, my superintendent uh, for a while. And, and there's really, you know, there's there's two things that that are an emergency. Everything else, we should be able to try to put processes in place and step back. And the two things that are always an emergency are going to be, you know, fire at a building or student death. Um, and even then, you can have an upstream mentality with it. But those are going to be the ones where it's like, okay, hey, we really got to kind of put out some of these quick fires, but let's follow our process. So yeah, Amanda. Yeah, I think the the just to circle back to cybersecurity. I don't know how to do that after you talked about student death, but you, you just did. We're going back to cybersecurity, everybody. Just so everybody knows, Tony took us off track because that's what Tony does. So back that to cybersecurity. Really dark, really fast. <laughs> I one thing I wish this book did that it didn't do was do a better job of like helping to talk about the cost that is avoided or um, I, I can't remember the term that he used. Um, like monetize it so you know what you're saving by preventing things down the road. How do I convince, you know, our community spending money to, you know, better protect our network and those mm -hmm. kinds of things are worth the cost versus like just waiting for something to happen. And to, you know what I mean? Like I wish there would have been more strategies around that. I don't know if you guys have any strategies that you use to, to, sell those types of things, but I would definitely be interested in hearing. Right. Well, and it's interesting to have to try to monetize something. Um, but, you know, to that end, I think, Amanda, as in the five years that people have been focusing in on cybersecurity, we've had these incidences happen, right? And so, yeah, it's like no, noting those sorts of things and then saying, hey, okay, here's the monetization of this. Here's where, you know, our, and that's what our insurance companies, right? They're, they're, they're in the business of trying to upstream and make a profit off of us trying to upstream, right? Like you can't get a, uh, you know, a, a policy beyond $2 million, you know, unless you show that you're doing these things to upstream this problem, right? You don't want to be at a point where you're experiencing this issue here. And, and every year it's a growing number, right? And so now we have bills in our, you know, we have our some bills, right, in legislation that are like, now you're going to have to report like when this stuff happens, because they want to start collecting that data to start to understand where we can upstream this problem, right? So I just, had a, I just had a comment about, um, really a shout out to IETL about the upstream work that you're doing. Like the this podcast is an example of that. Like you're sharing, you're helping, you're supporting. That's huge. So you're saving people all sorts of problems down the road, even though they don't know they might've been problems, they can then think about it and they're like, oh, maybe I should do something about that. The other thing is networking. And I've always believed you're only as smart as the room. So the bigger you build your network, that's upstreaming. Like get more people that you can reach out to, get Skabinski's number in your phone, and then you're good to go. <laughs> so, you know, as, building your as is migration from Microsoft and Google. <laughs> We we can post it in the uh, in the episode uh, notes so everybody has Brian's number. <laughs> yeah. But with that said, Maureen, you know we well we do have a famous person in this book now, right? Dan, oh yeah, my I gosh, saw that. Explain, you guys right? That because our our very own Don Ringelstein and and his idea about you know like 
understanding cybersecurity and really coming down to every single user who uses email in our district is vulnerable to these, you know, these bad actors, right? Um, under these phishing schemes. So his, ex so Dan Heath's example of Don's move to, uh, you know, use know before and, and, and these other means by which to help his users understand and be frontline defense yeah. was so, really upstreaming. You, you know, I listened to the book and to hear Don's name pronounced uh, <laughs> by the author who doesn't know him. <laughs> it's really funny. Wait, how did he say it, Maureen? <laughs> it was like, it was like, I, I wrote it down phonetically, but I can't find where I wrote it down because I was just chuckling every single time. But it was, it was very butchered. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Poor Don. He's going to, he's going to have to uh, toss Dan Heath a note. Like, yeah. He's been pronouncing my name wrong this whole entire time. Yeah. <laughs> That was but a little, to that uh, end, I think was a little well, it took me a while to realize who he's talking about. Okay. I'm, like, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, that's Ardon. <laughs> that's Ardon. Um, a little Easter egg. Yes, a little Easter egg there. Uh, and and in some in one sense, Don's example, um, Don Don and the no before example, really kind of likens back to when we read the book Atomic Atomic Habits is that whole idea of building a habit is one way to counteract downstreaming, right? Because sometimes we just get that tunneling, right? Where we're just constantly downstreaming and trying to um, address the problems, but yet building better habits helps us to keep us upstreaming. Yep. You know, I think nodding. one of the Everybody's nodding. <laughs> you're absolutely right. And I, it was like, as we talk, as Amanda's talking about cybersecurity, you know, we have already have an, we have an interest from, you know, a, a board or a superintendent, and then they tell us to go look at it. And then we come back with a proposal and they see a price tag. And I'm like, no, oh, you know what? I don't really want it that bad. And it kind of goes back to the story about FEMA, how they were, I mean, I never knew that they actually had done a whole preparation, you know, prior to Katrina. And like, that was so amazing. And I, I look at the quote, you know, he, he has in there, which was, you know, we, we Mike, how FEMA, you know, didn't want to spend the, what, the extra $15,000 to do follow-up meetings. And they said, in the end, Congress appropriates $62 million to help rebuild, you know, New Orleans. And he says, mm -hmm. you know, we micromanaged thousands of million dollars in funds in situations where billions are at stake. And I sit there and I go, you know, that's the, the whole saying right there of pound wise, penny foolish, right? right? We want to stop cybersecurity attacks. We want to educate, but do we, do we really mean that? Because if we mean that, then we actually have to appropriate our district funds to allow us to be able to do that. Otherwise we sit there and say, yeah, we really want to, but then we're, we're no better than FEMA who doesn't want to spend the $15,000 to do a, a few more follow-up meetings. Yeah, exactly. Right. Would you rather spend 15000 <laughs> Or do you want to use your $2 million in, you know, your, um, you know, your, your policy? And unfortunately, everybody here on this, you know, Zoom right now and everybody who's listening, we know people that have had to call that number to get cyber insurance going and yep. shutting down stuff or have closed schools. And it's, 
this is not one of the things where like, oh, this is a blue moon kind of thing. This is this is a weekly occurrence. Like every week you hear about someone or something else. And it's, if it's not a school, it's a business. I mean, I, I read something I the, uh, uh, I don't remember, but it was like some, somebody in the government had gotten their stuff hacked and now the FBI is investigating, yes. you know, that. And so like, it, it, it almost comes down to the idea of it, it is again, it's going to happen. And what does our preparedness look like? Yeah, exactly. For me, it's like trying to find the balance between the chicken little, ah, uh, the sky is falling and like the ostrich with their head in the sand, like yes. pop out everything good. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to keep pretending, you know, we live in Mayberry and, and everything's perfect. So it's like, how do you get the ostrich to like look up to the sky, I guess. Right. <laughs> or, I mean, in dealing with the busy lives uh, of teachers, right? Like they're not focused on that. That's just not something that they are um, paying attention to because they've, they've got, you know, all these other things that they're paying attention to, but it's build. it's how do you build then um, a, relevance like you're saying uh, 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 a need how do you how do we understand the motivation then like this could happen to you it may not be happening now because you're busy preparing for IAR but at some point something could occur right <laughs> it just takes so, one link right I mean mm -hmm. it really does it really does and there are situations like that like um, any other thoughts on cybersecurity? That has been a big reality for us that we've been trying to upstream for quite some time. You know, just MJ, I think a, a quick summary for it is, is it's a perfect example. We we all are, are thinking about it. Um, we're putting plans in place. You know, one thing that we've done as, as a group, and I, I go back to what Maureen said about the, you know, we're only as strong as our, our fellow colleagues are in our network, um, but we've done uh, tabletop experiences with each other. Uh, we've, you know, had people come in and talk to us about, you know, best practices. And now it's just a matter of it's us trying to think as a group individually at our own districts of how do we think upstream and, and, and prepare for something that we hope isn't going to happen, but we need to accept the fact that it probably will. And that eventually all of us will have to call that number on our cyber and security policy and do the forensics and be up and, and so on. I think that one of the, the best things that we have as a group is the network, right, is, is our network. And I know when there was an incident with uh, one of the student information systems, there was four or five of us that were mm -hmm. on calls every day. And if nothing more, it was just to support each other through it. Um because, you know, I, I, I know there's that feeling of, oh, my gosh, it, it happened to this person, which which I in all honesty, the, the best thing I've taken out of our network is that we're so supportive of each other and, and, and being like, hey, if you need some people, I've got some people that I can send over there. If you need, you know, experience, you know, I'll walk you through who I called, what I did, stuff like that. And, and having that preparedness piece is such an upstream thought and, and getting away from that that chicken little mentality. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We're seeing a lot of head nods because we all kind of have been in those situations where it's like, holy. <laughs> what happens now? Like, 
Yeah. Um, Reading through this book um, really prompted uh, myself and as well as our CSBO to really start to try to upstream the problem we were experiencing, which was, which kind of seems ironic. I mean, uh, unique to our district is that um, by the by every year by when school gets out, we only have like 50 to 60 percent of our staff of our kids registered for the for the upcoming year like you you guys are nodding but i i think it's kind of a it was a unique situation in our district like why aren't why aren't people registering for next year like what is holding up with that and for a long time it was like oh we're just gonna deal we're just gonna deal you know we're just gonna try to look for teachers in august and all that kind of stuff but we we took it on this year and we were like Nope, we're upstreaming this. Let's <laughs> see what the heck to do so that we're not in that situation anymore. Um, so we've we've thrown we've thrown got tried to get some data to kind of help us decide like what what what'll happen, and we've got some ideas going in the mix. And now we're like going to be launching because our registration <laughs> starts in March. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. But we're hoping as we you know, explain things to our parents. We're actually giving them a deadline. Um, you know, we're, 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 we're really hoping that that's going to start to make things happen for us. So we'll, we'll keep you posted, but. Yeah. We'd <laughs> love to, I'd love to hear those results. I mean, yeah, what you talk, <laughs> I don't know. Are you, have you guys like experiencing that in your districts? Oh, oh yeah. really? We nobody, don't nobody actually... is interested in, yeah, nobody's interested in registration until their kid can't go to school and then they want it right then right now immediately yeah we we actually don't even open registration until early june and mm -hmm. we normally see it when we release schedules and we put a, a some logic in there that schedules only get released to people that have fully registered uh -huh. and then uh -huh. we get inundated with people to register which is in august mm -hmm. oh I I always thought that we were like a unicorn in this. Like, so we actually. Well, then we're all unicorns. <laughs> we actually put fees on before we even open registration, and then so parents get notifications that that's coming, and then registration will be open, and you can't get your schedules until you pay. Wow. Yep. Yeah, the one thing that we've done, I mean, we don't open registration until May, but there's a fee increase in July. Mm. So people want to pay before it gets more expensive. So then yeah, we, teacher issues. We're we wondering if that's like a motivating factor, like to make sure people start to do it. But it well, we been. set a deadline and we actually are making it harder for parents to re-register then after June 1st. So don't create your headaches for yourself, you know, because you're going to have to do this, this, this and this and you're not going to be able to sign up for transportation until august and you know like it's just going to be harder so um but we'll see we'll see what happens we're having our secretaries to kind of tally like as they are the front lines and trying to like um uh, we'll probably be talking to parents as like you haven't registered yet how come mm -hmm. and we're having them like tally different reasons why they are you know different reasons that are being expressed by parents like what is it that's holding you up? You know, that kind of thing. How do we help, you know, take those barriers out for you? Like, what can we do? So I don't know. But yeah, that's a big one for us. I, I did not realize like other people experience that as well. That's just, that's funny. 
Yeah, sorry, you're not alone on that one, MJ. <laughs> well, I'll share. I'll share if we've done anything then, right? Uh, or if we we end up, uh, you know, making mm-hmm. a better mark for it. So it's interesting, like like you're saying, Brian. The last three, the last two chapters really just wrap things up for us, right? Like, be impatient for actions, but patient for outcomes, right? And don't wait till you have the perfect plan, but start to you know do some things um, now and then adjust uh, or iterate, right? That whole idea about iteration. Um, two, macro starts with micro, right? Getting mm-hmm. getting close to the problem, really understanding it, experiencing it for for that you know particular user or person, uh, and then like when Amanda said, favoring scoreboards over pills. Uh, and that's the long game of it, right? And 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 finding your checkpoints along the way because it's never going to be a pill. <laughs> right? so, um, but I appreciate how uh, Dan Heath kind of like um, wrapped it up in the whole like motivation of upstream upstreaming is is to try to leave this world a little bit better than you found mm-hmm. it. I heard that in Girl Scouts, but he says like yep. Robert Baden Powell said that, but that's yeah. what I heard in Girl Scouts. <clears throat> Try to leave this world a little bit better than you found it. <laughs> well, and I wanna, I'll even tag onto that one and be like, it's his last two sentences, you know, and I, and I look at all of us in, in our roles. I mean, we're the people who are unsatisfied with normal and we want to be the people who clamor for better. Yeah. And I mean, I look at that's, like that should be our, our guiding, our principle to, to do better. Yes. Great. Here, here. That's great. Well, speaking of, I didn't say better, it. Dan Heath said it. I just repeated it. Dan, so. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, so this is, you know, this has been such a great experience kind of going through this. I think, um, you know, I've learned so much just listening to to all of you guys and, and your discussions and MJ, uh, let's just give MJ a quick round of applause. I mean, she's really oh, put this uh, a lot of fun guys put this uh, this together for us. But um, I do have one final question, and I let everybody off the hook last time with a random question. So I do have one question. This is relatively easy, um, I think. I think I tried to be nice because I like all of you guys. Um, so we'll end with this one here, and that is, what did you say as a kid when asked? What do you want to be when you grow up? And I felt it was kind of fitting, right? Thinking of upstream, because we started planning and preparing for our future as as we were growing up. So what did you say as a kid when asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? So I can answer this quickly. Um, I always wanted to be a veterinarian, veterinarian. Um, but my allergists like squished my dreams because of my cat allergies. And here we are, you know, in the modern world where there's these miraculous shots that can fix that stuff. So, you know, I just got the rug pulled out from me on that one, but, uh, my niece is pursuing her vet career. So I'm living vicariously through her. That's awesome. Very fun. That's awesome. I always wanted to be a teacher. I like to <laughs> line up my stuffed animals and make them listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I still do. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome, Amanda. I kind of put my stuffed animals in a meeting space so that when I sit there, I know what I'm going to experience with everybody just sitting there looking blank back at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I grew up wanting to be a pilot. Um, and when, yeah, I always wanted to be a pilot. And uh, so when I had glasses and you had to have 2020 vision at that time. Um, so I, ironically, my second choice was really to be, I, I always wanted to be a C, CIO. Wow. That's awesome. You're Maybe just I about there, Brian. Maybe, <laughs> Maybe I should have been a pilot. Oh, <laughs> should have been a Brian. <laughs> Brian, what I heard you say is you're living your dreams. Yes. So. I do. I, I actually am. I mean, the, the degrees I have, I'm actually, I, I am living, living it. And it's That's never awesome. too late to get your pilot license. Oh yeah, it is. When I have to pay for kids' college, yeah, that, that dream. <laughs> Ironically, just like uh, your niece, uh, Maureen, my middle boy George has um, a desire to be a pilot. So nice. I guess I'll pave my pave my way and live vicariously, possibly through him. That's awesome. I think early on, I didn't. I wanted to be an astronaut. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure why, but I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> I think at some point it was like fourth or fifth grade. I found out how long it actually takes to get to the moon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> that's, oh, that's crazy. Well, I'm, I'm going to follow along with the theme. So it's kind of funny. Similarly to Brian, I totally wanted to be a pilot. I still totally want to be a pilot. Um, I can't play computer games because I get motion sickness and all this, but the only thing I will play is I got a little flight simulator set up at home and I have it in my head that I could land any plane if needed. So if we're on a plane together and something happens, <laughs> I got it. I got it. <laughs> Tony, with, uh, with you being, uh, with you liking planes, if you ever want to go, this is my new hobby. Now uh, we go plane watching. Oh, I'm in. I, I have uh, I've joined a, a group of other plane watchers, and yep. I know all the great spots at O'Hare Airport uh, that we can go, and it is it is actually really cool. That's awesome. I I love. Well, the only part of driving down two ninety four that I love is right when you're in line with what is it ten uh, ten oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, but you looked on the runway. Yep, yeah. I just love it. Every time and, my parents, every I would do that with my parents when we drive past there, and my son asks me all the time, and I can't turn my head because I have to pay attention <laughs> to the traffic. Right, I agree. But is yeah. one of your spaces the cell phone lot? Because I find that that's quite close. Oh no, no, no! I have you can get closer to that. <laughs> I have. Oh, I, I, if I, fence, I, I, have, I have pictures. <laughs> There is, I th- yes, um, Tony. You can cut this all out of your podcast now, but um, oh no, no, this is a, staying in. <laughs> all right, so there's a sorry. So here you go. So on the west side of the field, uh, there's a place called the hill, uh, mm-hmm. and you turn in, uh, and it's literally a hill with like cars and vans sitting there, and it literally probably gets you a hundred feet. You're outside the airport, but you get a you're hundred feet from Ten Center, or would it be twenty uh, or twenty eight center going yeah, in the opposite. so yep yep and you're and you're and they're literally right by you and it's uh it's absolutely amazing and so then i met you guys uh, so like I met a guy. totally love the movie maverick i haven't watched it yet oh <laughs> the top gun one yes yeah no haven't seen that one yet did you see the first one? Ryan, you gotta you gotta watch it oh i've seen <laughs> top gun but i haven't had a chance oh, okay. to watch the other one yet it That's is good. really good um, 
Yeah, so it's super funny because then there's a if you kind of go down the same road, you're going down where all the um, couriers or like all the sh- uh, shipping places yep. are at. Yep, you're and, down by the cargo uh, so, area. Exactly, and you're just in an employee parking lot, but you're on you're literally on Ten Center at the middle. So either way you watch it, you're watching them land, and they're going right past you with the thrust reversers on. I mean, it's so you are shooting through the fence but i mean you're, you're literally you think you can touch it that's awesome brian i'm all in i'm all in 100 percent. all right i'll text you the next time i'm gonna go up there so okay. that's perfect oh it's crazy we were up there the last time and kids were i mean this is no joke their kids are up there on or on the back of a pickup truck doing a live stream a youtube feed <laughs> they handed my my son like their business card they're like hey check out our youtube channel and so they're out there there are people I mean, there's literal stations out there. Big Jets TV is out in yeah. Heathrow, and there's people that just sit out there for hours. Just watching them. Not that I have time to sit out there for hours. <laughs> I have to, like, find time in my, the life I'm in. But, yeah, That's people awesome. are out there streaming, Jets coming in, and, like, commentating. Wow. That's awesome. That's so cool. Who knew? Oh, who knew? Who knew? Who knew? You know, I I'm, I appreciate you guys taking part of those random questions. We learned such weird and interesting but fun facts about each other, and uh, um, that's so fun. That's so fun. Well, guys, I I know I can't thank all of you enough. MJ, thank you so much for putting this together. This has been great for all of our our listeners. Remember, please join in the asynchronous uh, way to join in via Twitter hashtag IETL Upstream. Um, I know that our participants have posted. Um, go like, talk about your own stories. Again, Maureen put it super well of, you know, our network is 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 everything to us. So we know that that it's not just the handful of us on on this podcast uh, that are talking through it. Let's hear your experiences. We're hoping that that this can really uh, uh, take off for all of us. So thank you to all of our guests. Again, remember COSIN's coming up. We've got our CTO Summit at Top Golf. Make sure you register for that. Uh, we've got our workshop number four. A lot of great things coming up, guys. Um, we know this is a, a tough part of the year, so hopefully we can find some ways to connect and, and keep supporting each other. So um, until next time, again, thank you for all of the great stuff that you guys always do. Bye. Today's podcast is brought to you by Mindsight. Mindsight provides IT services to many K-12 school districts in the Chicagoland area. From cybersecurity to hybrid cloud, unified communications to managed services, Mindsight has acted as an extension of client IT teams for nearly 20 years. They're recognized as a leading IT consulting firm, so contact them with any IT-related questions at 630-981-5007 or visit GoMindSight.com and tell them that Aedil sent you.